Today, you're going to hear the best sermon ever. And I'm not talking about mine, lest you think that uh, I have become completely egotistical and full of myself. I'm not talking about the sermon that you'll hear from me this morning. I'm talking about the sermon that my sermon is about. And my sermons for the next several weeks will be about this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus Christ. And that sermon begins in Matthew chapter 5, or at least the introduction to what is said in that sermon begins in Matthew chapter 5. I would invite you to open up your Bible and turn there. This is where we heard our scripture reading from earlier, Matthew chapter 5. I want to just start off by reading verses 1 and 2, where we find in the Gospel of Matthew, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, Jesus, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So we have both crowds, meaning those who were just sort of nominally interested in Jesus. Maybe they were there for a healing. Maybe they had a family member who was sick that they wanted Jesus to make well. Maybe they were there for a free meal. But the crowds had gathered around Jesus, but so had the disciples. Those who were a little, a little bit more serious about following Jesus and His teachings. So both crowds, disciples, gathered at this hill, and when He sat down, He opened His mouth, and He taught them, saying, and we will soon get into exactly what Jesus said, not just this morning, but in the weeks to come, in this new series that we are beginning on the Sermon on the Mount called Best Sermon Ever. I'm wondering what you think makes for a good sermon. How would you define a good sermon? The late actor and comedian George Burns once said, the secret of a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending and then having the two as close together as possible. And I will not ask if you agree with that because I'm afraid that it would make me depressed. But by any measure... Jesus' sermon is good. In fact, I believe, as I've already revealed, that it's the greatest sermon, and it's probably a summary here in the Gospel of Matthew of a longer message. Just in case you think you want to say to me, hey, Joseph, look, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, that was Jesus' sermon. He kept it brief. Why don't you take your cues from him? There may have been more that Jesus said that is not recorded here. Matthew may be summarizing the message that was preached on this occasion. And there's material in this sermon that you can find elsewhere in the Gospels, in other sermons. I'm thinking primarily of what we call the Sermon on the Plain. In Luke chapter 6, a lot of the material is repeated. And we would expect that from an itinerant preacher Jesus traveled around to many places and spoke to many different people, so we would expect that He would repeat material. But here's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, and, and this is not just about our section this morning, which we're about to get into. This is what the entire sermon is about, and so I will be reminding you of this in future weeks. Keep this in mind, and I've got a slide right up here to, to remind you. I think the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of ways you could uh, summarize it, define it, but here's, here's what we're going to use in our series. The Sermon on the Mount is about living by the rules of God's kingdom 
in the routine of everyday life. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is about living by the rules of God's kingdom in the routine of everyday life. Now, some people don't like the word rules. Some people don't like the word regulations. But I think these are good words to describe what is taught in Jesus' most famous and also first sermon that we find in the Gospels. If you want to call them ideals, fine. If you want to call them expectations, fine. But Jesus lays out, hey, if you're living in my kingdom, this is the kind of person that you're supposed to be. This is the kind of life that you're called to live. As you go about every day of life, you know, in, in whatever um, occupation that you find yourself in, in whatever manner of life, here is how you ought to operate. The Sermon on the Mount is about living by the, the rules, the regulations, the ideals of God's kingdom in the routine of everyday life. And we'll be returning to this week after week. But this morning, let's begin at the beginning with Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And what I would like for you to do, and I don't ask you to do this very often, and I know you've already been on your feet twice, but I'm going to ask you to stand up for a third time. And what I would like for us to do is to read these words together as a congregation. And if you're watching at home, I won't ask you to stand. I wouldn't know if you, if you would anyway, but I would ask you if you'd like to read along with us. So everybody, stand up. First one on his feet back in the uh, cry room. I appreciate that. And everybody followed suit. Matthew chapter 5, read with me, starting in verse 3. And I've got this up here on the screen for you as well. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you very much, church. You may be seated. And I promise I will not ask you to get up again. Jesus begins the whole thing, not just this section, but the whole sermon with the word that is translated blessed or blessed in chapter 5 verse 3. And we could also translate the Greek word here as happy. And this word with which Jesus begins the entire sermon, it, it refers to enjoying favorable circumstances. And you know, as well as I, what we call these, uh, this series of verses we call them the Beatitudes. And that name itself comes from the Latin Betus, which means blessed or happy. So the name Beatitudes is derived from this first word which Jesus uses to kick off His sermon. And He has my attention. He had me at blessed or happy from the very first word. And he bet, I, I bet He has your attention, our attention as well. I don't know if you've noticed, but in our country, in our culture, we are fairly obsessed with being 
happy. You need only Google how to be happy. And you will stumble upon thousands of hits. Articles and sites telling you exactly what is the recipe for happiness. I have a book up here that's been on my shelf for many years. And it's called The 100 Simple Secrets of Happy People. A hundred chapters each with a little piece of advice for how you can live your happiest life. And there's many, many more just like it. Now when we read these words and when we think about Jesus' original audience, we need to remember that they would have been even more captivated by this than we are. And Jesus catches our attention because we want to know about how to live a blessed life, a happy life. But unlike us, they had no expectation of being happy in their lives. But we do. You fill in the blank of this statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable, unalienable rights. Among them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence. One of our founding documents penned in 1776. So this expectation, this desire for happiness is woven into the fabric of our culture, our country. But they would not have expected to be blessed, to be happy. And so as they stand around this hillside, listening to Jesus, hanging on His every word, and He starts the entire thing with the word that means blessed or happy, you know He had them hooked. You know that they were completely arrested with the teaching of this man, this rabbi, the Son of God. Jesus comes along and starts His sermon with the word happy. He had their attention. He's got my attention. I bet He has yours. But then, as I keep reading, well, He kind of loses me. Because He says things like, Jesus, says things like, blessed are the peacemakers, Chapter 5, verse 9. And you know, I don't always want to be a peacemaker. Sometimes I want to fight for my voice to be heard. And, and I don't care what you think about it. Because you need to hear my opinion. And I'm going to let you know what I think. Even if it drives a wedge between us. Even if it doesn't make for peace in our relationship because you need to hear what's on my mind. Jesus says, blessed or happy are the peacemakers. And then he says things like, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who extend mercy and grace to their neighbors. But don't you know what kind of sinful activity they're involved in? Don't you know how that person has wronged me? And my family, don't you know what they did? They don't deserve my mercy. But Jesus comes along and says, happy or blessed are the merciful. And then he says, blessed are the meek. The meek, those who put God and others above self. Those who have a humble and accurate view of self, who, who lead gentle, meek, 
lives. Wait a second. I got to look out for me. I got to have some me time. I have to take care, first of all, of me, myself, and I before I look to anyone else's interests or needs. Blessed are the meek. And he says also, blessed are those who mourn. Wait a second, Jesus. Now, I really lost you here. Happy are those who mourn. I don't want to wallow in sadness. I want to smile. And I want to laugh. I don't want to go into the house of mourning. I want to go into the house of feasting. I have an old friend from high school. She and her husband live in Florida. And they have two children. She reached out to me recently and said, we're pregnant with our third but we've been to some doctors who believe that this baby has several genetic disorders and will not survive very long after he enters the world. The doctors think she will carry this baby to full term, give birth, and he will not survive for long. She is committed to carrying this baby, to giving birth, to loving on him, taking care of him as long as they're blessed with him. They've named the boy. She asked me to pray for them, and I have been. She also said to me, as a minister, as a preacher, what would you say to us about why we're going through this? How would you explain why God has allowed us to go through this terrible ordeal? Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. When we begin to read the Beatitudes, it seems to us that some of these conditions don't bring about blessing or happiness. They block it. They interfere with it. And the statement that sets the table, that really sets the tone for all the rest, is the first one. The first one in chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. And this is an expression that came about in the Old Testament times. And it was used to describe any group of people or person who was lowly, who was oppressed, who was impoverished. It was used to describe those who were not taken into exile when the Babylonians came in and sacked Jerusalem and stormed into Judea and took some of God's people into exile, when they did that, they only took the best. They took the people who they thought would be most useful and they left behind the people who they thought were worthless. How do you think that those people felt? The people who apparently weren't even good enough to be slaves in a foreign country, the poor in spirit, the sat upon spat upon, ratted on, as Simon and Garfunkel sang in a song once upon a time. The poor in spirit. And truth be told, that's precisely, that's precisely the kind of people who turned out on this day to hear Jesus preach. They were not the elite of society. They were not the upper crust. They were not the most important. They were the poor in spirit. And they must have marveled when they heard Jesus say, the first word out of his mouth as he began teaching, as he began preaching, blessed 
happy are the poor in spirit. And truth be told, and this is not always easy for us to hear, we're no different. We're not. Yeah, we may have more in the way of material goods and cultural clout. And we, we may have an inflated view of our own importance, but we are impoverished too. If not materially, then spiritually. Spiritually in poverty. We are. Why, do you, why you ask? Because the Bible tells us that we are. That we are poor in spirit. Paul in Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, There none is righteous. No, not one. Not even you. Not even the person who you think is the most godly, most virtuous, just best person that you can think of. No, not even him. No, not even her. There is none righteous. We don't bring anything to the table. We don't have anything of worth to share with God. Nothing to say that we deserve the blessing of God. A little bit later in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, not some, not most, all. Me, you, everybody in this room, everybody listening or watching at home, everybody down the hall, all have sinned. We come impoverished to Jesus. We bring nothing of worth or value to the table. And when we realize that, and a lot of people in our culture, they don't realize that. A lot of Christians don't realize that. But when we realize that, then, then we're ready to hear the Beatitudes. And we, like Jesus' original listeners, can come and be in awe of what He's saying. And say to ourselves, though we have nothing to bring, we can be blessed. We can be made happy by Jesus. It's remarkable. In these statements that we call the Beatitudes, especially the first one, Jesus is saying, only when you come to me with empty hands are you ready to be filled up with blessing. Are you ready to be made happy? I love how the message paraphrases chapter 5, verse 3. The first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This paraphrase reads, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because with less of you, there is more of God and His rule. With less of you, there is more of God. And with more of God, there is comfort and there is satisfaction and there is mercy and there is a relationship with God and there is the kingdom of heaven. Those are the promises laid out for the blessed in these verses as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. But when we come to Jesus, those people, the disciples and crowd alike, they gather around Jesus on that hill to listen to Him preach as one with authority. And when we come to Jesus, listen, we don't abandon the concept of happiness. We don't abandon our desire for blessedness. We just have to rethink the conditions that we thought brought it about. Those have to be adjusted in the light of what Jesus shares in this sermon and elsewhere in the Gospels. Conditions are different. 
What we thought made us happy, well, it doesn't. And some of us have had to learn that the hard way, haven't we? We have a lifetime of looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in all the wrong places, and we've found empty well after empty well. Jesus' words to us are like, like living water, something refreshing about them, because He gives us the true key, secret. Not this book, not some article you might find online. It's Jesus. Jesus unlocks the key. He gives us the true secret to being happy. It's not what we thought. It's not what we thought. I don't know what I'm going to tell my friend who asked me about what I thought about why God is allowing her family to go through what they're going through. Why they're dealing with this season of immense grief over the likely loss of their baby. I don't know what, exactly what I'm going to say. At first I just said, hey, I love you. I'm praying for, for y'all. I'll get back with you. I don't know what I'll say. I don't know what she needs to hear. But I could say, and I would be right, I could say, you know, when you're thrust into the valley of grief, it's really only then that you can be blessed with comfort from above. I wouldn't wish that kind of grief or mourning on anyone, but really when you're at the bottom of the pit, the bottom of a deep hole, it's really the only point at which you can feel divine comfort that you've never experienced before. There's great blessing in that. Happy, blessed are those who mourn. So take heart. I could say something like that. Jesus says to us, take heart if you practice mercy. If you extend mercy while everyone else is seeking revenge, if you do that, you're blessed. Take heart if you have a single-minded desire to live righteously, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness while everyone else chases worldly pursuits and follows after the desires of their sinful nature. If you reject that kind of lifestyle, you have a single-minded desire to please God, then you're blessed. Take heart if you're building bridges while everyone else is just burning them down. If you're seeking peace among your neighbors, you're blessed. Take heart if you're treated poorly for your faith. If you're persecuted. If you're talked down at. If you lose your job. If you suffer physical harm because of your faith in Jesus Christ. While everybody else goes with the flow of society and does whatever they can to fit in. You're blessed. You're blessed. And take heart if you come to God empty-handed. And by the way, we all do. It's only when we realize our own spiritual bankruptcy, our impoverished state, only when we realize we are poor in spirit that we are ready for a deposit of God's matchless grace. You're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt because they're ready to receive what they do not deserve and what they did not earn in the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Blessed. You're blessed!
dare I even say, happy. Happy are those whose hope is in the Lord alone. Happy are those who realize only when they lose their life can they find it. The Sermon on the Mount is all about kingdom of God living living under the rule and reign of God. That's what God has called us to do as the church. We are part of God's kingdom. Now, we are inhabitants of it. As I said earlier, we want to live by the rules of God's kingdom in the routine of everyday life. That's what this sermon is about. That's what we're going to be talking about over the course of many weeks. And blessings abound under God's rule. They do. As Jesus reveals here, we've looked at some of these blessings this morning that He talks about. When we come to Him, when we submit our lives to Him, blessings abound. But there are also responsibilities and rules and expectations. And we will see many of those in future sermons as we proceed in this sermon. But one question remains, how do we enter this kingdom? How do we become a part of God's family? How do we bring ourselves under His rule and reign? Well, we believe on Him. We repent of our sins. We turn away from those. We change our mind. We change our direction. We aim to please God, however imperfectly, and we will be imperfect. We will mess up. We will sin. But are we turning away from those things? Are we aware of our shortcomings and confessing those to God? Have you confessed the name of Jesus Christ before men? Have you said, yes, I believe that Jesus is my Savior and Lord, and I can't do without Him because I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to remove my sin from me. I need Him to do it for me. I know that He has at the cross. And I know we have people in the house this morning who haven't been plunged in water. It is through the waters of baptism that you arrive in the kingdom of God. And some of you, I don't know what you're waiting on, but I don't want you to wait a moment longer because you have an opportunity today to repent, to confess the name of Jesus and to go down into those, these waters, come back up a new creature. You'll belong to a new family. You'll be living in a new kingdom. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Even in the midst of heartache, you'll be blessed now and forevermore. And you can go forth singing, happy, happy am I. Jesus is mine forever. If you're struggling in any other way, if you need prayers, this invitation is not just for those here today. You can reach out to us. I've got contact information on this slide. Our, our uh, office number, call us. Let us know how we can pray for you. Shoot me an email and let me know how I can pray for you personally. If, you, if there's a spiritual need this morning, don't leave without bringing it before and laying it at the foot of the cross. Laying it before the God who, who cares for you so deeply. Do that right now as we stand and sing.